0: Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook livestream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. Enjoy the Bible study. In John chapter
1: 12. We completed John chapter 11 last time I was with you, which wasn't too long ago. I am so excited about this chapter. Uh, there's a, an event that takes place in John chapter 12 that um, is very near and dear to me. One of the very first sermons that I preached um, as a teenager <laughs> was out of a parallel passage to this one. Uh, there's some amazing, amazing truths in this, and, and we'll just see how far we can get. We might get through the uh, notes that I have here, but that's not going to be all of John chapter 12, so we'll just kind of see where it goes. Um, but let's look at some, some introductory material to kind of bring us up to speed to where we are. If you, it's been a little, little while since I last taught. Um, we just saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, okay? John chapter 11. Um, Jesus goes to see Lazarus four days late. You know, God is never late. Jesus was not late, OK, in coming four days after his death. He, he came exactly when he needed to, exactly when he meant to. God is never late. God is never early. And you and I, we deal with time all the time. And that's not a pun intended <laughs> there. But we deal with it in ways that is you know agonizing and just stressful waiting for something, you know? Like Mark right now is waiting for the diagnosis from his, his, his lab results. Um, we're waiting um, for things to happen, you know. Uh, when I was in college, uh, just, uh, I guess it was at the very beginning of my senior year, or at the very end of my junior year, I said, God, as far as this relationship thing goes, I'm just, I'm content, I'll give it to you. And I meant it. And then came my senior year and I had two weeks of what they call senior panic um, before Lois and I became a, became a thing. And so, <laughs> God brought her my way just as soon as I surrendered that to Him, instead of stressing about it and worrying about it. Was that, was that late in time? No. God knows exactly what He's doing. And whatever it might be in your life, God knows exactly what He's doing and exactly when He is doing it. Um, if you're like me, you like to hurry up, you know, and that causes you to hurry up and wait. <laughs> because we try and get ahead of God, we try and figure out what the next step is or the next 17 steps is, and you try and write them all down, figure it all out. Jump to step 16 when God is still preparing you for step number 0.5. You know. Um, anyway, so Jesus is still in Bethany. If you remember that little map, okay, I don't have it printed out again, but Bethany is, is very close to Jerusalem. I think it's just like a couple of miles from Jerusalem, really. Um, so it's near to Jerusalem. Jesus is there. He's still in Bethany after raising Lazarus from the dead. And who is Lazarus's siblings that we are told of, that were also Mary and Martha, that were also there. And the Bible says in John chapter 11 that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved this family. They were very dear and near to him. They were his personal friends. Now, it, Jesus loves you too, just as, just as much, just as closely, just as dearly. And he's just as moved when we are in trouble, so to speak. Bible says we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Um, when Jesus was in the boat in the Sea of Galilee and he was sleeping, and the disciples were going crazy because they thought they were going to die, they said, "Jesus, don't you care that we perish? Carest thou not that we perish?" They said. Their problem wasn't Jesus. You're not powerful enough, aren't you? Can't you take care of this? They knew he could. But their doubt and their fear was that he actually cared for them, that he would, out of his own will, fix their problem. Jesus cares for you. He's touched when we have difficulty. He's touched when we have problems because he's been there. And he was moved at Lazarus' death. He's moved um, when we're going through difficulty in our life. Uh, Grief, agony, um, whatever it might be. And so he's there. Passover is coming nigh. Passover is near. Now, this is how we tell how long Jesus's earthly ministry is. We read in the Gospels that he was about 30 years of age when he was baptized by John and he begins to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so how in the world do we know that he's 33 or 33 and a half when he dies? Well, because of the number of Passovers recorded in the scripture. There's three of them during Jesus's earthly ministry in the Gospels. This is number three. This is the last one, okay, which means he is about to die because when does Jesus die? Well, at Passover, right? And so in about a week he will be crucified. I just want you to get into the mind of 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 Jesus, you know, as far as like earthly, you know, what was coming down the line that he was expecting during this event that takes place and it'll give us some extra insight I believe. There is a parallel account for this event in Matthew 26 6-13, 6-13, through 13, and Mark 14, 3-9. Now, um, I tried to, in, the, in these notes here tonight, although we're looking at John 12, I tried to bring in differences and things that are additional information from the parallel accounts. Uh, so, you know, you could look at Matthew 26 and Mark 14 on your own. That's, that's fine. But I tried to make it so that with reading John 12, we would supplement that with the extra stuff found in Matthew and in Mark. These both tell us that the preceding event, uh, preceding event takes place at the house of Simon the leper. This is all kind of you know uh, introductory information. This should not be confused with the event at Simon the Pharisee's house in Luke chapter 7. That is an entirely different and distinct event in Galilee. So what we are about to read in John chapter 12 occurs in Matthew 26 and in Mark chapter 14. The Luke 7 account is a completely different account up in Galilee. It has similarities, but it's a completely different account. Okay, without further ado, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead when he raised from the dead. Do you remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead? Did Jesus actually go to Bethany at that point? No. They said that Mary ran to meet him outside, outside the city, you know? And so he didn't actually go uh, into there, and then it's talking about now, and in verse one, he came to Bethany, into, into the village, another, another account says, where Lazarus was, uh, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with them. Now Mark and Matthew don't tell us the names of those at the dinner, only John does. Matthew and Mark say that they're at the dinner of Simon the leper, and a woman came, and you know, it just tells us this whole story without giving us the proper names of the people that are involved, other than uh, Simon the leper. Here we're not told about Simon the leper, but this is his house. Okay? Um, and so, what's interesting, we read about Martha, right? In verse 2, Martha's doing what? Serving. Okay? I put in a, a, a passage here from Luke chapter 10, Uh, to kind of get across the point that serving does not take the place of sitting. Now, this is something that we can all fall into as far as a trap, okay? Serving does not take the place of sitting. This is something that especially people in ministry, okay? Um, I'm I'm, I'm teaching a Bible study. I don't need to, you know, have all kinds of my own personal devotion time and prayer time, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm going through, I'm preparing a message, you know what I'm saying? And so we can easily be so involved, even with good things, that we lose what Jesus calls the better part. Um, anyway, Luke chapter 10, just to kind of get some, some reference here about, about Mary and her and, or Martha and her character, both of these women actually. It came to pass as they went that they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. These are the same characters, the same people—real-life people—that were involved in the event in Luke, or sorry, in John 11, with Lazarus being raised from the dead. We see all three of these people: Lazarus being raised from the dead, Mary and Martha coming to Jesus, grieving, uh, beseeching Jesus to help. And so, talking about Mary, uh, she received Jesus, or Martha received Jesus into her house. And then it says, she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. Now this is not necessarily saying, in this specific event, in this specific time, when Jesus went into the house of Martha in Luke chapter 10, that Mary was then there sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing His word. I believe what it's saying here is a characteristic of, of, of Mary in general. She was one that sat at Jesus' feet. She was one that heard Jesus' word. Although it may be specifically mentioned to this time, this is something that we see in at least these two accounts, Luke chapter 10 and John chapter 12. Where where do we find Mary at Jesus' feet? And I believe, let me look back. I'm taking a risk here. Let me look back at at John chapter 11, just a page back. Okay, so Martha comes and meets Jesus outside the city, and tells him about Lazarus. And if you'd been here, uh, Lord, my brother uh, had not died. Then she goes and she tells Mary, and uh, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly. As soon as she came, she arose quickly, came to Jesus, and um, so Mary rose up hastily and went out. Verse thirty-one of chapter eleven. I'm not even telling you where I am. Okay, Uh, chapter chapter eleven of John, verse thirty-one, and so she rose up hastily. and then when Mary came where Jesus was, look at verse 32. She saw him, and what did she do? She fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Every time that we see this Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, there's like a ton of Marys in the scripture. We've got to iron out who's who, okay? Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, every time we see her, she is at Jesus' And that's something to be commended. That's something that should be a challenge to us. That should be something that be a challenge to preachers. It should be something that's a challenge to fathers or sons or daughters. Do- you know, you feel it in any of those categories. Whoever you are, wherever you're in relationship to others, we need to be sitting at Jesus' feet. Not just once in a while, but all the time. Um, and this is something that's a characteristic of Mary. So
0: She's if I understand you, right, Mary, Martha just said Jesus' Once in a while. Right? Because at first, in the lesson we got, um, verse 39, where it said, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat
1: at Jesus' feet. True. It could also mean
0: that Mary's
1: mother was well, there. Mm-hmm. It could be. It could be reference to Martha, and also Mary sat at Jesus' feet, or sometimes the scripture words things that she had a sister Martha, or had a sister Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet meaning it was just her. I don't know, that's something we'll have to find out when we get to heaven. Be like, hey Martha, did you sit at Jesus' feet too? Probably after these events she sure did or wanted to. Um, I can't answer that definitively uh, because it may be just its description of Mary personally herself. Yes?
0: Jesus quote say that Mary has made a better choice
1: Yes, yes, and we'll look at that tonight. Oh, I didn't even look at the page. Oh, there you go. <laughs> There you go. Great minds think alike, huh? Okay. <laughs> and so, but verse 40, but Martha was cumbered about with much serving. That's exactly what we find her doing in John chapter 12. What is she doing? Serving. Serving is good. Uh, but anyway, we'll, 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 we'll get, I got to finish reading this. And she came to him, Martha was cumbered about with much serving, came to him, said, Lord, does thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter therefore that she help me. Now this sounds like my kids. Are you guys listening? <laughs> I tell them to clean up or something, you know. Seth will like not clean and he'll be like, Evan's not helping me. Come on, Evan, help me. This is kind of what Martha's doing. She's left me to serve alone, Lord. Tell her to get up and help me. You know, basically what she's saying. And so, um, you know, Dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful. This is where the Brady Bunch got it from, I guess. Um, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, if this word careful, I didn't look it up in verse 41. Martha's careful and troubled about many things. If this word careful in verse 41 is the same word, the same Greek word from Philippians chapter 4 where it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your request. That's that's the kitchen, brother. Yeah. Uh, Everything with, can somebody close that door maybe if you don't mind? Thank you. Oh, she's got it. Um, And so... Where was I? Um, I w- oh yeah, yeah, careful. Okay, so the Greek word in Philippians chapter four, where it says, "Be careful for nothing, uh, full of care," um, has it's related to the English word. It's the word we get anxious from, anxiety. Um, and so, it's probably the same word. I don't. I didn't. I didn't look it up to put it on here, but it has the idea of anxious. Martha. You're very anxious. You're very worried. That's what careful means, uh, at least in Philippians 4. I assume it does here as well. And troubled about many things. How many of you here tonight are careful or troubled, as in Luke chapter number uh, 10, verse 41? I'm, I'm careful and troubled. Yeah. I'm careful and troubled more often than I'd like to admit. And so what's the solution to being careful and troubled? Hi, Yeah, sitting at Jesus' feet, right? And so he says, Mary's chosen that good part. There you go, Debbie. Mary hath chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Okay, skip back to the present as far as John chapter 12 is concerned. Verse number three, Martha is serving. Lazarus is sitting at the table. Verse number three, Mary takes a pound of ointment, of spikenard, very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment how many of you ever s- smelled spike nerd before? that's a tongue twister couple of you, some of you, none of you how many of you would like to smell spike nerd tonight? we have smell-o-vision tonight <laughs> okay alright, uh, brother Glenn you take that and you can just pass it down okay um, it's not as strong of a smell as it was when I first got it. Okay, this is from Israel. This is Spike Nerd. You can go ahead and sit down and, and, and pass it around. And uh, so I'm going to describe to you what Spike Nerd is. This is what the ointment is that she anoints Jesus with. By the way, Matthew and Mark's account, okay, those parallel accounts there. And this Spike Nerd will come around. I have a diffuser, like an oil diffuser. I was going to bring it in here and just like put some Spike Nerd in there. But I didn't know if it would bother anybody or like, you know, give me a headache even. Um, I have asthma sometimes, depending on what's going on, you know, a certain candle or something. So I figured we'd just pass it around. Um, so um, Matthew and Mark tell us that she anointed Jesus' head as well as his feet. Okay. Um, so Spike nerd originates from a flower in the Himalayas and is found in the areas of Nepal, China, and India. No wonder it was expensive, right? Mary's supply most likely came from Egypt, which imported this product in high volumes and has used it for centuries. Okay, So Egypt was kind of like the middleman to get spikenard to the Middle East, uh, because it originates in China, in, the, in Nepal, and in the Himalayas, and India as well. Um, okay, It is mentioned three times in the Song of Solomon, the spikenard is. Okay, and the Hebrew is shobelet nerd. You guys know that nerds are in the Bible? Okay, well, there it is right there, nerd. Okay, shobelet nerd, which means um, a, a, a head or ear of the nard plant. Okay, a pound. She takes a pound of this ointment. What is that? Is that like, you know, a, a, I'm going to say a metric pound. Is that a thing? That's not a, that's not a thing, is it? Metric? I don't know. Anyway, um, it's three-fourths of an American pound, about 12 ounces. And interestingly enough, the Greek word, how many of you guys can read Greek or the English transliteration right next to it? Litra. It's like where we get the word liter from. okay? And so this was 12 ounces. Now I don't have with me, let's see, what's this? This is 16 ounces. So like is a can of pop 12 ounces, 12 fluid ounces? Okay, so imagine that, okay? We have this little spike nerd thing being passed around. Imagine like the size of a can of pop. You guys say pop in North Carolina, or do you say soda? Or do you say Coke? Okay. I grew up saying pop. You go to Pensacola, Florida, you get all kinds of varieties of people saying that, you know, you're a heretic for saying it's pop or whatever. But that's about the the fluid the, the fluid volume, okay, of this ointment that she had. It was very costly. Um, in verse 5, as well as in Matthew and Luke, this amount of spikenard is said to be worth at least 300 pence. What's that, you say? Uh, the, the word is denarion. Okay? Denarion is the plural of denarius. Okay, Or denarii. A coin, a denarius, is about a common laborer's wage for one long day's work. Okay? So one long day's work is one denarii, one pence in the English wording there. Okay, And so if this is worth 300 long days' labor for an average wage, that's pretty expensive, right? If you think about it, the Jewish year, roughly it varies, I guess, but around 360 uh, days, in a, in a biblical year anyway, 50 or so Sabbaths, according to the Hebrew calendar. And so how many days would they work? Well, pretty close to 300 in a year. Okay, working days for a Jewish person that did not work on the Sabbath. It's about a year's wages. And so we also read that she wiped his feet with her hair. So she anoints Jesus with this costly ointment, this ointment of spikenard, very costly, and she anoints his feet with her hair. I'm going to quote with, uh, to you from this book I've quoted from before. I don't agree with this guy on everything that he says, but I agree with some of it. Okay, <laughs> take the meat, leave the bones. Uh, this guy, his name is Eliyahu Lazorkin Eisenberg. I said it right that time. Uh, Eliyahu Lazorkin Eisenberg, he's an is- Israeli Jewish believer in Jesus. Anyway... He has this quote referring to this passage about her wiping his feet with her hair. In Judaism, and in many other cultures in the ancient world, hair was associated with a woman's glory, her self-worth and self-respect, and it reflects that in 1 Corinthians 11. Not only did Mary pour an extremely expensive ointment on the feet of Jesus. She also used her hair to wipe the oil that did not get absorbed into Jesus' skin. In other words, she placed her self-worth at his feet. She gave him her riches and her glory. It was an act of worshipful devotion. Should we give Jesus the best that we have? Yeah. Should we give Jesus the most costly thing, most precious thing? I'll tell you right now, I'm up here convicted by what I'm reading, okay? And we should all be because this is an amazing, amazing passage that shows this woman's faith uh, that just trumps all of ours in a lot of ways and makes us look like we're, we're stingy. makes me feel that way anyway. Okay, flip the page over. And so, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, a little bit of foreshadowing there, John he says this why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor did you know that Satan will attempt to use logic to keep us holding on to stuff and seeking self gratification you deserve it why in the world wouldn't you make a better use I mean you're pouring it on the floor how much of it isn't even hitting his feet I mean this could be used to feed you know Countless, countless people, um, Satan has arguments that are quote-unquote logical, okay, by his logic, but they're not biblical, and he'll do, I mean, the Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices, his wiles, the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil. He's got all kinds of plans for us. We don't have to fall into those plans, but nevertheless, he's not going to sit back and say, all right, I'm just going to let that guy go. I'm just going to leave him alone. He's he's not going to say that unless that person that he's, you know, talking about is already in the gutter and, you know, wallowing in the mire. And so, he said this, Judas, verse 6, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Now, this is a very interesting passage. This gives us some insight into Judas that we don't find necessarily elsewhere in scripture. Yes, he's called, you know, the son of perdition. and, and a number of other things. But we find a very specific trait about Judas in verse 6 of John 12, in that he was a thief. He stole stuff, he embezzled, um, and had the bag and bare what was put therein. We find here that Judas was not just an opportunist trying to make money by betraying Jesus. And there's some that try and portray him that way. Um, I don't know, it was like maybe a year or two ago, our pastor was talking about this supposed gospel according to Judas, this like lost gospel, this apocryphal book that was found. And it's a bunch of garbage. It it directly contradicts everything that we hear in scripture and says that Judas was trying to do something good in in, in making Jesus go to the cross because he wanted Jesus to die for the sins of the people. Uh, That's not what scripture teaches. (laughs) Scripture teaches that Judas was a thief. He wanted money. And uh, there's nothing more to it. Um, well, there is some more to it, but nothing to excuse what Judas did. We find here, okay, and that he was trusted with the collective finances of all the disciples. He was not just trying to uh, make money by betraying Jesus, but his character was that of a thief. And so we need to realize uh, some things if, 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 if we've read and we're familiar with every single other thing in the Gospels that it says about Judas, but we miss this one verse, we're kind of missing a key element in the perspective of who Judas is. He's a thief. Uh, he didn't care for the poor at all. He wasn't one of these you know, people that claims to have a better idea and, 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 and means it with sincerity. He just wanted the money. He wanted to take it. He, was, he had an ulterior motive. Then said Jesus, verse 7, which is the only and the most important opinion in this, in this passage. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. How long would it be until Jesus was buried? Well, roughly six days. Okay. Um, not that long at all. This is something that's in his mind because it is coming very quickly. He'd already began to tell about his death. Um, anyway, for the poor, verse 8, always you have with you, but me you have not always. How in the world can we apply this verse to our lives? I mean, is Jesus saying forget the poor? Is he saying never minister to the poor, never help the poor? He's not saying that at all, okay? in the context of his disciples who were there a week before he was going to die, he was saying, this is something that she is doing as a worshipful act where I am here on the earth, which is not going to be uh, constantly, in fact, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to ascend up to my Father after I bodily rise from the grave. But for you and I today, um, there are some interesting implications, and we'll get to that in a minute. In Mark's account, Jesus tells us, she hath done what she could. Isn't that interesting? In Mark's parallel version, <coughs> okay, of this account, his parallel account, he says that an additional statement that Jesus gives, she hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. So that's a little bit more like, you know, a little bit more of a strength to this statement because here it says that she, against the day of my burying, she has kept this. She has held on to this for my burying. And in Mark's account, he says that she did this uh, to anoint my body to be buried. I mean, this was something that was very real and very much in the forefront of what Jesus taught, Um, especially as he got closer uh, to the end of his earthly ministry. Now, some questions. Some questions. Number one, are you serving instead of sitting? Okay, I'm I'm pointing fingers. If I point at you, I'm pointing you know three of these, and I don't know. It depends where my thumb goes, but <laughs> I'm pointing a bunch back at me. Okay, are we are we replacing in our minds the necessity to sit at Jesus' feet because we're serving, because we're doing so much good stuff, we're doing ministry. Do we then neglect sitting at His feet? Jesus says that's the good part. Jesus chosen this good part. Um, that's something that we need to take into account. You know. Take account of you and the Lord, where you're at with Him, and where you need to be. I know I'm not where I need to be, and uh, this is something that's a challenge to me. Now, this is the, this is the title of, of uh, the message that I preached as a teenager. Uh, let me introduce it to you this way. How many of you guys watched Rocky and Bullwinkle before? Watch what? Rocky and Bullwinkle? Rocky, Rocky and Bullwinkle? Cartoon? Okay, All right. so when they gave those cartoons, there'd be some kind of dangerous, dastardly situation where, you know, somebody would be tied to the train tracks and they would give some kind of a pun as to what the next continuation of that episode would be. It would be like, stay tuned for our next episode to be, you know, flattened on the tracks or, you know, missing the train. They would give some kind of a thing like that, you know. And so when I gave this message, I entitled it either we need, it's, 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 there's two titles, you, d- you determine the title by how you apply it in your life. And it'd be either break the box, okay? because we're told in the other passages of Scripture, not in this one, she had an alabaster box of ointment, spiked and very precious, and she, she anointed Jesus with it. In the other accounts, Matthew and Mark, specifically Mark's account, it says that she break the box with no, with, with no reserve, with no desire of putting anything back. It's like squeezing out a tube of toothpaste. You can't put that ointment back in there. And that's a very, very costly box of ointment alabaster box so I titled it break the box or how to feed a corpse and that's kind of a you know trying to get attention there with that uh, if we're not if we're not breaking the box okay um, there's an alternative and it's trying to feed a corpse it's trying to satisfy and gratify something that the Bible says is dead we need to reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin the Bible says we're crucified with Christ um, and if we're trying as believers to continually satisfy our old nature, it's like trying to feed a corpse or trying to you know treat something that is not alive as though it is. It's, it's, it's ludicrous, it's ridiculous. If we hold on to that box, that's exactly what we're gonna be doing. We're trying to satisfy our worldly fleshly nature. Um, Okay, so this question is asked, what is in your box, okay? Mary had ointment from Spikenard. It smelled probably, I think, like that stuff did there, although probably stronger. It says that the whole entire place was filled with the odor of the ointment, okay? Uh, Something that was very, very costly. We have stuff in our box, quote, unquote, okay? It's a hypothetical box, but we put stuff in there that we don't, I'm not giving this to the Lord, No way. Um, And so what is some stuff that could be in in, in, in our box? Stuff, meaning materialistic stuff, OK? We are creatures that like to, ooh, this is shiny, you know? I mean, we're like those birds that they'll pick up stuff and uh, put it in our nest because we like how it looks, you know? Pretty, shiny, ooh, I got to get that, you know? I want that. Uh, We gather to ourselves things. And uh, we need to not do that. And, and, and if that's something that's keeping us from worshipfully devoting ourselves to the Lord, it's something that's, quote unquote, in the box, and the box needs to break. We just need to, no reserve, no regrets, no remorse, give it to the Lord in an act of worship. People, uh, these are all things that, you know, These kind of parallel uh, what could become idols in our lives, right, idols in our hearts, idols in our lives, uh, that take the place of the Lord. Uh, that that, that throne of our heart, so to speak, that we can put other stuff on and and dethrone the Lord in our own heart and life um, and choosing to live for those things in whatever moment we might find ourselves in rather than living for Him. Mary did not do that. She had the most precious thing probably in her entire possession and without reserve she she broke it at Jesus' feet and then she took her hair, which was her glory, and used it to wipe His feet. Achievement, money, time, pleasure, or whatever the Holy Spirit brings to your mind right now. There might be something I don't know. Um, are you d- and, uh, okay? Number three. Are you doing what's good instead of what's best? Martha was serving. She was serving at a home where a supper was being given to Jesus. How much better can you get than that? And yet, Jesus tells Martha, Mary has chosen the good part. You know, um, Martha's doing something that's good, but Mary is doing what's better. And so, are you doing what's good instead of what's best? It's a hard question, uh, especially if we want to not be forgetful hearers. Number four, have you done, quote unquote, what you could? He says that Mary has done, in the Mark account, I believe it is, uh, she hath done what she could everything that she could have done she did i put in this little tidbit here median income average income in north carolina in 2017 was about $66,000 for a, for a home now if you're saying i don't know what that's talking about <laughs> you know but apparently that's the that's the average income for a home in north carolina as far as uh, I- annual income would you give something so precious. <laughs> if you had something that was $66,000, let's see. What's $66,000? I don't know, like a Corvette Z06 or something like that? No, that's more than $66,000. <laughs> I'd, I'd have to say like a, uh, some kind of a Honda, maybe. <laughs> you know, they're getting up there now. Just, uh, just a sedan. OK, a, a, a Ford Raptor, F-150 Raptor. That could be $66,000. Seventy-three. He's looked into this. <laughs> All right. Yes, sir. If we're not our
0: own and we've been bought with a price, so it wouldn't be ours anyway.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, you know, Jesus said a number of different things. One of the things he said was a man's life consists, <coughs> consists not in the abundance of the things which he hath. A man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he hath. He also said, I think it was, no, it was Paul, set your, th- set your affection on things above. You know, um, I think Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Maybe he said that. Um, but anyway, this is something that's precious. Ma- you know, maybe that, that box, that alabaster box of ointment that she had wasn't worth $66,000, but I guarantee you with inflation adjusted, it was, <laughs> you know, in her time period, yes, a year's wages. I mean, would you just, would you just give that to the Lord unreservedly? She did. And I'm not saying that, you know, all of us now need to go out and, you know, sell our cars and, you know, our homes and whatever we're going to do. All I'm saying is, look at Mary. Look at what she did. Let that be a testimony to us and uh, to strive to do our best for the Lord. What are you holding back? Um, Just a possibility. You know, And if we have something that is on the throne of our heart, it's going to keep us from having peace. It's going to keep us from having joy. It's going to keep us from having fulfillment. It can be any of these things mentioned above. It could be something completely different. It could be any sin, because sin likes to do that, and sin likes to trick us into thinking that it's okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, these are all things that we need to uh, unreservedly, unashamedly just come to Jesus' feet and, 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 and give to Him. We don't have much time. Now, this is where I was going to talk about. Um, when Jesus said, the poor you have not with you always, you know, you, or, or me you don't have with you always, the poor you have with you always, okay? You're thinking, well, I'm here 2,000 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. How does this verse apply to me? Well, listen to this. We don't have much time. We will not always be able to give to, obey, and serve Jesus in this same way that we can right now. Um, when we're in heaven, we're not going to have this, this sinful nature and our own flesh to battle with and to voluntarily say no to that and say yes to Jesus. We're not going to have that. We're not going to have the ability to do that. Um, we're not going to need to, praise the Lord, but it's something that we have an opportunity now that we will no longer have once we breathe our last breath here. Um, in heaven we will worship and serve him but we won't be choosing him over sin and self our sinful nature will be gone and James says our life is a vapor that appears for a little time and then passeth away and so this is the time that we have it's very short, very short, very short don't think okay Mary did some good stuff I'm going to do that tomorrow I'm going to do that you know next year don't do that you don't know how long you have I don't know how long I have uh, we're all in that same boat, and we have the same opportunity to serve Him in a way that we will not have once we breathe our last breath. And so that's the admonition there. Verse 9 Much of the people of the Jews, therefore, knew that He was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom He raised from the dead. What would you think if you had an opportunity to go have dinner with somebody that Jesus raised from the dead? It's like, let me examine this person, you know, the uh, skeptic would say, let me, let let me, you know, make sure this isn't a, you know, bait and switch or, you know, kind of thing where they, I don't know. There's all kinds of crazy stuff on TV. They say that, you know, Benny Hinn raised somebody from the dead that was, you know, in the basement of the church or something. I don't know how all that stuff comes together. Uh, We don't have the same thing that we do in the Bible uh, today. We have clinical death, right? Somebody said, I, I used to work at Ethan Allen uh, Furniture Factory and we'd sit down for lunch and this lady sat next to me she's like, you know, I died once. And uh, anyway, what's the deal with that? People that are, so, so to speak, you know, dead and, 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 they, and they return from the, from the grave. They, they, they're brought back to life. Well, clinical death, medical death is not the same thing as biblical death. Biblical death is when your soul and spirit, your, your, your body, separate. Okay? Um, and the Bible says it's a point on the man once to die. And then, yet, there is medical death where, okay, no pulse, call it. You know? Um, when that person has ceased to have a heartbeat or whatever, um, as in the case of my coworker there a couple years ago uh, that said that she died on the table and they brought her back. Um, you know, that's what I think about all this coming back from, from heaven, or as one guy said, he came back from hell. Um, that's, that's a bunch of fooey. Um, anyway, so they came to see Lazarus. Did you know that your testimony matters? Somebody might not come to hear what Dan Bergman has to say out of John chapter 12. But they might just come because you're kind of peculiar to them, Because you didn't get angry when they backed over your mailbox, (laughs) you know? Um, There was a girl, I don't know if I've told you about this before, there was a girl, an Orthodox Jewish girl in California that I was witnessing to over the phone uh, over a period of time. We had multiple phone conversations. And she was one of these anti-missionary groups, you know, young Jewish girl in California. And she was trying to cut her teeth, so to speak, on refuting the missionaries. So I had an opportunity to witness to her for, for quite some time, a couple of different times. And she would just, I don't know, she would be rude, she would be hurtful, she would be spiteful. And although I had answers in my mind for everything that she said, pretty much, she wanted to just, you know, whatever. I, I, she, she wanted to discount my answers. Like, for instance, Isaiah 53. She would say, oh, no, that's, that, that can't be, that, that, that's Israel, that's not Jesus. So she didn't necessarily have good answers for everything that I said. But she had in her mind a refutation. But guess what she said to me? She said, why are you so nice? Why are you not getting angry at me? You know? You and I might not have all the answers. But we have a testimony that people like these Jewish people here, they came not only to see Jesus, but they came to see Lazarus. And what Jesus had done in his life. You know, your testimony matters a lot. In Jewish circles and in others. Um, The way that you live it better support the things that you say with your mouth. But I'll tell you one thing, the way that you live and the way that you carry yourself can not only adversely sabotage what you say, but on the positive side, it can go beyond your words. Anybody can say whatever, but some guy that's getting, you know, um, ran through the ringer over the phone by somebody that's angry with him and not responding in like fashion, that's going to do something more than just your words. Your testimony matters. You may not have been physically raised from the dead, okay, like Lazarus, but you have been spiritually. The Bible says, Yield your members unto God as those that are alive from the dead. Um, one of the best ways to help people listen to what you have to say is for them to witness your changed life. That's exactly what these Jewish people were going to see Lazarus for, that he was raised from the dead. Verse 10, But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. This is kind of humorous in some ways. Um, can you imagine that? They wanted to kill somebody who had already died once. Okay, They wanted to put Lazarus to death. Question? Is this
0: the same people who were mourning over him when he
1: was dead? No. So the chief priests are different from the multitudes that believed. And we're gonna find out in a minute, the result of Lazarus being raised from the dead, the result of this dinner where people came to visit and see Lazarus with their own eyes, the result is a number of Jewish people believed. A number of Jewish people trusted Jesus as their Messiah. And the chief priests, contrary wise, they're not believing. They're upset about the whole thing. They're seeking to not only put Jesus to death, but they're seeking to put Lazarus to death because he's causing problems, you know? Make him go back in the grave from once he came, or something. I don't know. So I brought out a, a, an interesting point, a thought that came to my mind anyway. Um, there's passages that talk about how um, Jesus is called in Colossians chapter one, He's called the firstborn from the dead." What does that mean? Well, here, um, I listed one, two, three, four, five, different people. Uh, that were raised from the dead before Jesus. Okay, not including, not in, not including Lazarus. Lazarus would be number six. Um, number one, and we're not gonna go through all of these for time's sake, but the widow of Zarephath's son in 1 Kings, chapter 17. And you can look, up, 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 look these up on your own. Uh, the Shunammite woman's son in 2 Kings, chapter four. The man raised out of Elijah's grave, or Elisha's grave, 2 Kings chapter 13. Yeah, we're on the next page now here. The widow of Nain's son in Luke chapter 7. And then Jairus's daughter in Luke chapter 8. I just have to mention this because I have a Hebrew mindset, okay? Jairus, Jairus, you hear it all kinds of different ways. How in the world do you pronounce it? In the Greek, it's Yerus, Yerus. In the Hebrew, it's Yair. Yair. And you'll see, I think that name appear in the Old Testament sometimes. It's probably written like Jair. Yair. Anyway, Yair's daughter, okay? Um, And then we have, to cap it all off here, Lazarus. Okay? These are the people that were raised from the dead before Jesus' resurrection. So how in the world is Jesus called the firstborn from the dead? Well, some of those Passages have to do with he has the preeminence, he is the most important, he is the pivotal one. But I'll tell you what, all of these people, guess what happened to them? To die they died again. okay. <laughs> and Jesus, he, I have it written here, Romans 6, 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. That's the difference. And so when it talks about Jesus being the first, the first, he's the first one to rise from the dead to not die again. Okay, which happened to all these people, including Lazarus. Okay? He wasn't necessarily um, you know, murdered by the chief priests like they desired to do, put a hit on him, but uh, he eventually died, right? Guess who didn't? Jesus. After Jesus raised from his crucifixion, raised from his death, he did not die again, never to die again. And so in verse 11, do we have any questions or comments before we continue here? I don't mean to kind of plow forward. Yes?
0: I had the thought that um, Mary might have been one of the people that believed Jesus that he was going to die because it hadn't really sunk, it, sunk into some of others.
1: Yeah. Because he mentioned about the that she like she knew. I believe so. I believe that this scripture references here, they show us that she knew, she believed he was going to die and that's the purpose for which she anointed him. She uh, believed that, yeah. I believe it, yes. I was uh, studying this
0: passage, and I was looking to another pastor, and he said, imagine being at a table where a, a, a leper has been healed, mm-hmm. a dead man has been
1: raised.
0: And, and, you know,
1: that could make for some good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, um, the leper, Simon, it was Simon, right? Mm-hmm. Simon, Simon the, the leper, yeah. Obviously, he was clean. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I don't think if he was, if he was uh, still leprous that Jesus would have gone and sat there and been like, all right, you got leprosy. Sorry, I'm not going to do anything about it, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, absolutely. That's an amazing, I don't know, somebody should do it. Well, you can't really do that. I was going to say, that'd be a neat painting, but it'd be messed up. <laughs> it would be messed up properly. All right, like, you know, Rembrandt or somebody making it all. Uh, goofy looking. Anyway. so uh, okay, verse eleven. Now, getting back to your your uh, thought there, John, because that by reason of him, speaking of Lazarus, they want to put Lazarus to death, because by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Now, here, and I've talked about before, The word for Jews in all these passages, okay, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, everybody's Jewish. Lazarus, Simon, Mary, Martha, Jesus, all of the disciples, pretty much everybody that Jesus ministered to with the exception of a few uh, in his earthly ministry, they're all Jewish. So what's the deal with the Jews, the Jews, the Jews? Well, it's speaking of the Judean religious crowd. Those that you would see maybe like in Jerusalem, not the average everyday Israeli, but those that are the Hasidic Jews, those that are the you know very, very religious, devout orthodox Jews, uh the chief priests, they're not upset because some fishermen in Galilee believed in Jesus, okay they're upset because they're drawing away the you know the upcoming generation of rabbis, you know the the next religious uh rulers and leaders uh that's the Jews that went away and believed on Jesus verse eleven because Jesus and Bethany is really close to where? What major metropolitan area? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Okay? That's where everybody is. And keep in mind the temple is still active at this time. So there's a lot of stuff going on that Jesus is putting a wrench in their plans. You know, with all of these people believing on Jesus. And then on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. I was going to ask Brother Bob if he would give us a Hebrew blessing. What is that? Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch haba Bashem Adonai. Adonai. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Okay? Uh, except there's another phrase in here, king of Israel. Uh, Melech Israel. Uh, haba Bashem Adonai. In the name of the Lord. Hosanna in Hebrew means save us, we beseech thee. I'm going to tell you something interesting. Okay, so, like, Jesus' name in Hebrew is what? Yeshua. Okay? Now, Yeshua is related to a bunch of other Hebrew words, including Hosea and Hosanna. Okay? Um, And they all have to do with the the root idea of saving. Okay? Yeshua means Jehovah saves. Okay? so, anyway, here it's Hosanna, okay? Which is Hosha Na. It's two words in Hebrew Hosha Na. Save, and then we beseech thee, or save now. It's interesting. There's a word in Hebrew, and the word is Na, okay? Like N A, like Na, okay? Not available, um, <laughs> or not a- a- applicable. Um, na in Hebrew can mean two different things. I saw it on a sign in Israel on the, on, on the grass and it said please keep off the grass and the Hebrew word was na, please. And so here in this definition, save us we beseech thee, is, is, is save us please, you know. "Hosha na. But na in Hebrew can also mean now, it can mean both, okay? And it's used as both, um, like for instance. Okay, here's an example in Genesis. I think it's chapter 21. Is that the binding of Isaac, where God tells Jeremiah, or t- Jeremiah God tells Abraham, you know, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and you know, offer him as a sacrifice unto me on the mountain that I'm going to show you. And so the word there, when God says, take now thy son, by an only son, Isaac. When he says take now thy son, the Hebrew word is nah, which can mean what two things? Please or now? The King James translates it now. It could be, um, you know, biblically, it could be either way. Because the Hebrew word means now. Take now your son. Or God could be saying, Abraham, I'd like you to please take your son. You know? Could be either way. Interesting. But we find that same word within hoshana. Save now. Save us now. Save we beseech thee. Save us please. Taken from Psalm 118 verse 25. The crowd welcomed Jesus to Jerusalem with the cry, na, save us now, or save us, we beseech thee. And in, in, in addition to this passage, in addition to verse 13 of John 12, we also have it recorded in Matthew 21, 9, and Mark eleven nine and 10. Now I have a, I have a little bit of a lengthy quote here from uh, the Baker's Encyclopedia of the Bible. It gives some interesting insight into this event, and I wanted to share it with you. Psalm 118 is a declaration of confidence in the Lord's salvation, made in a time of need. The psalm, has, uh, the psalm as a whole was part of a longer hymn, the Hallel, which was sung on great occasions, such as Passover. Okay? If you guys have attended Passover here or you know, heard of Passover, uh, we, we make a big deal we talk about Psalm 118 because it's part of the Hallel, part of the Passover Seder. In fact, keep your finger in John, turn over to Psalm 118, let's, let's read this. I don't think I have it in this passage here, Psalm 118, and this, uh, this reference is specifically near the end of the chapter, or in verse number 25 I think it says, of Psalm 118. Which by the way, guess which verse is at the center of our English Bible? 118. Psalm 118 verse, okay, verse, verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in the man. In, in man. That's the center of our English Bible. Um, anyway, and so verse number 25, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. And so that's what's being asked here. That's what's being pleaded here. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, they put palm branches down and they, they cry out, Save us now, save us now. The psalm as a whole, okay, it was the longer hymn, Hallel, verse 25 in particular, was used in the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. At the point in the worship when this verse was read, the people would wave branches of myrtle, willow, and palm. You remember Mark's teaching on the Feast of Tabernacles. And so um, this is something that is has uh, just taken place within that event. Branches may have been waved at other times also as general expression of jubilation. Um, like people today, you know, we do those, you know, popper things or blow a kazoo or, you know, set off fireworks. Well, back then, people waved branches in the air. Okay. Um, this happens in Second Maccabees chapter ten, which this is an apocryphal book. I'm not, I'm, I'm not giving it credence necessarily. But the event that's talked about is the dedication of the temple. Okay. This is not biblical canon, but this same uh, type of uh, procession occurs at the rededication of the temple at a ceremony for the rededication after it had been defiled because the people who welcomed, uh, but because the people who welcomed Jesus not only waved branches but also sang Hosanna and blessed be he who enters in the name of the Lord Psalm 118.26 you guys still there? Psalm 118 mm-hmm. blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord we have blessed you out of the house of the Lord and so all of that is within that passage there um. Okay, uh, this means the crowd was greeting Jesus as Messiah. Already before Jesus' time, the phrase, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was taken to refer to the Messiah. Okay, within Jewish circles, before Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey, this passage was thought of to reference the coming of the Messiah. And uh, let's see here. And it is possible that the, that the word Hosanna by itself had messianic reference or significance. Other expressions in the report of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem support this. In Matthew 21, nine, Jesus is called the Son of David. Mark eleven nine, there is reference to the coming kingdom of our father David. John twelve thirteen, Jesus is called the King of Israel, all of which are reference to Messiah. We need not suppose that in shouting Hosanna the people had a political deliverance in mind. And this is an interesting point. Before I read this guy's commentary I never really thought that. I thought they're just doing this, you know, vainly. They're doing it out of kind of like a worldly, earthly um, desire for him to deliver them from Rome. Because the same crowd is shouting what in a couple of days? Crucify. Crucify him, right? But this is interesting, a very interesting point. We need not suppose that in shouting Hosanna, the people had a political deliverance in mind. They probably did not know in what way Jesus would be a deliverer. The most one can say is that they believed Jesus was one sent by God for their salvation. Had there, been, had there not been something in their response to him which Jesus could recognize as proper worship, and this is kind of key, he would hardly have accepted their praise, right? If they were just saying, praise God, deliver us from Rome, we're glad that you're here, would Jesus have accepted and, and, and rode through that procession and then said the things that he says next, which we're gonna read in a minute, um, no, he wouldn't have. We find him uh, elsewhere rebuking those that tried to give him, um, you know, honor or or, or or homage as some great person, some great teacher without ascribing to him the truth of who he really is, Messiah, Savior, God in the flesh. Um, so it would only appear later in his cross and, 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 and resurrection what his messiahship uh, really meant to this this crowd and to you know like his disciples we find that things that are said and done here they didn't know what in the world was going on but guess what after he was glorified after he rose from the dead and ascended they're like oh that's what that was all about and they realize it at that point i'm glad that some people in the bible are as thick as i am but that's what we find there now verse 14 and jesus when he found a young ass sat thereon. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. Sitting on a donkey, a young donkey. This is from Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt the foal of an ass. And so there's a prophecy that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Yes, yes.
0: I was told uh, many years ago, because I grew up, of course, in a, you know, near a city, so it wasn't really, uh, had much to do with horses. But the fact that he rode on a horse that had never been ridden was in itself a, a great sign, because you just don't get on a horse that's never been ridden.
1: Well, the other thing is, what, what, what's the picture of a king? You know, like the, 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 the presidents and others, you know, Napoleon. What are the pictures, the paintings of them depicted on a as? On a, on a horse, right? Because, yeah, because that equals conquering. That equals majesty. That equals kingship. And what does Jesus do? He's riding on a donkey. And, yes. Um, yes. Second time, what are we riding on? Yes. Yes. How many of you have ridden on a horse before? Okay, if you haven't, you're going to someday, if you know the Lord, okay? Um, Okay. All right, so, and we're going to examine this passage a little bit further, the whole thing with the donkey. In Luke chapter 19, this is a parallel passage, okay, to give us some extra insight into um, Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. It came to pass when he was coming nigh to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village over against you. In that which you are entering, you shall find a colt tied, whereon never a man sat. Just like John said. Loose him, and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And And they that were sent went their way, and found even as he said unto them, and as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Saying, "Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest." And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, "Master, rebuke thy disciples." This is this is this is something I want to share with you, because if 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 all of those saying, "Hosanna! Blessed is he! Blessed be the King of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord," if that was like um, an inappropriate type of praise or something that was um, ill-fitting or something that didn't really jive with who Jesus was and trying to um, communicate to the people, if they had, you know, ulterior motives in saying you know, save us now then Jesus would not have said what he's just about to say here. He tells the Pharisees, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, that stones would immediately cry out. He doesn't rebuke any of those that give him this praise, which means in my mind that it was genuine. Now, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem and this, is again, is still in Luke 19, this last verse here. But I wanted to share it with you because it's, it's parallel in its timing. <laughs> and when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even, in, and even, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, until ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, some interesting things about this passage, and I want to share with you one verse out of Isaiah sixty-six, real quick. My pastor, he was preaching and he mentioned this verse. It was on Mother's Day. And he mentioned this verse about the Lord. And as far as something that's mentioned in the Bible about God having a motherly characteristic <coughs> to him, it's this verse, Isaiah 66. And this immediately made me reference in my mind Jesus crying over Jerusalem and what he says to them. Listen to Isaiah 66:13. It talks about God being as one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you and ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem." That's God's desire. That's His heart. That's His burden for His people. He wants to comfort them as a mother, comforts her children. But look at what Jesus said in Matthew 23. "'How often would I have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens? A mother hen gathereth her brood, but you refused.'" And so there's an amazing parallel between Matthew 23 and Isaiah 66 is that that's what God wants to do. He wants to comfort you as, a, as a, a Jerusalem, as a, as a mother comforts her children. But Jesus weeping, you would, not, you would not come to me. You would not allow me to comfort you. You would not allow me to be that figure that would bring you comfort and protection. Now, when Jesus says in Matthew 23, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, you shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Didn't they just say that? What's the reference? Ze- Zechariah. Exactly. And so, is this referring to the John 12 event? You won't see me until a couple of days from now when you say, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh. That's not what he's talking about. This is referring to the nation of Israel's national acceptance of Jesus as their Messiah at his second coming. If their house was only left unto them desolate until the triumphal entry, it would have been a relatively short time, you know? Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Oh, here I am again, you know, riding into Jerusalem. Blessed is coming in. Okay, your house isn't desolate anymore. What's, what's been going on with Jerusalem for the last 2,000 years? It's been desolate, right? Judgment of God. Uh, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. This is referring to the destruction of, the, of Jerusalem and the worldwide dispersion of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people as a whole, the nation of Israel as a whole, Jerusalem, as it's epitomized in the, in the last days when all of Israel is gathered there at Jerusalem, kind of as like a last stand against the armies of the Antichrist, and Jesus comes and rescues them, they're going to look upon him whom they have pierced, and they're going to accept him. They're going to effectively say at that moment, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and their house will never, uh, no longer be desolate. That's the reference there. Uh, and so, verse 16, back to John. These things understood not his disciples at the first. Remember how I said to you they were kind of thick-headed? Okay, like Buzz back there? I don't know, I'm just assuming. <laughs> he's looking for another Buzz. Jennifer can attest to that, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> okay, I'll have to have my... I was going to have a bodyguard here tonight, but he's not here. <laughs> um, so I'll have to just kind of sneak out. Um, buzz is going to be looking for me. So, they understood these, not, not these things at the first, but when Jesus was glorified... Then remembered they these things which were written of him, that they had done these things unto him. This is an amazing truth that a lot of the things we see occur here were not fully realized by the disciples until Jesus ascended. And so take it to heart when the preacher preaches something, or when you read something in the Bible, and then like a couple of years later you're like, oh, you know, you finally, you finally get it. Uh, you're in good company because that's how the disciples work. The people, therefore, verse 17, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. This is our job. We're to do exactly the same thing. All those people that were there, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they bear record of what he did. They said, hey, this is true. I was there. I saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, and you know, I was present. I saw it with my own eyes. And you and I, we are to give witness of what we have seen and heard of what Jesus has done in our lives. This is our job. Verse 18, For this cause the people also met him, for that they had heard that he had done this miracle. Verse 19, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how we prevail nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. They're kind of just all upset. But an amazing truth uh, is, uh, comes, to, comes to mind here. All that men may try to do to thwart... What God is doing will fail. God's word will stand. And you may be in a situation. Oh, man, you may be in a situation. I know of one. And you can pray for, for this uh, dear lady. She called us. <clears throat> actually, sent a Facebook message. Her grandson is uh, going to be bar he, he would, uh, this, this, this This grandmother, she raised her daughter in a Christian home. Her daughter made a profession of faith. Then her daughter moved off to New York and married a Jewish guy, um, and they said that they wanted to raise their kids, they wanted to let their kids choose what they believed and to, and, and, and to choose their own religious beliefs and ideals. And so this uh, father's Jewish grandparents in New York, they were very present in the child's lives and they could influence however they wanted, but the daughter, who ended up becoming involved in Satan worship, all kinds of stuff, you know, bad stuff, um, she refused to let her mother and her father have any influence on these grandkids. And so, uh, beginning of next month, this uh, woman's, the, the, the grandmother, her grandson is going to be bar mitzvahed because he has chosen that he wants to convert to Judaism. And the daughter, who is into paganism, all this other stuff, she is refusing to let her mother say anything About Jesus or Christianity, and the mother will accept nothing but a letter of complete and total support of her grandson's life choice, you know, and decision. And so this grandmother, she was talking. I was talking to her for a while. I think she talked to Mark too. Uh, She's like, "What do I do If, if if I write a letter that says anything about Jesus?" She's going to throw it in the trash and never speak to me again. I mean, it's that strained of a relationship. And But she says, my other option, I said, basically, you've got two options. Um, you know, either say I, I. I <laughs> and, and, and she can't do that. She says, I can't do that. I'm not going to um, say that I have, you know, and I said, th- that might be the final thing that you can do, that you can leave as a legacy for your grandson that someday he might think, I really wonder why grandma would not, you know, even write a letter of support when I decided to become Jewish. Um, So anyway, this this thought comes to mind that whatever man might try and do to thwart what you're trying to do in, 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 in getting the word out and witnessing and other stuff, I mean, God will bring that to naught if we trust in him and do what he says. You know, he says, my word will not return unto me void. You and I can't do any saving. But we are the ones that are commissioned to tell, to sow the seed. So I hope this has been a blessing and an encouragement. Um, is there any questions or discussion before we have some goodies, I think, back there? Okay. All right, well, I'll go ahead and. Uh oh. Uh oh, I'm in trouble now.
0: If you don't think Jerusalem is important, you've got to read Galatians where it talks about, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of. Us all. Mm. So we should
1: pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yep. We're commanded to do that. We're commanded to pray for Jerusalem. Absolutely. And whether or not you like Jerusalem, and I, 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 I kind of had this mindset, um, I'll tell you real quick, and then we'll be done, okay? Um, going to Israel for the first time, second time, whatever, um, Mark just loves Jerusalem. He loves it. And, you know, when I went to Galilee, I loved Galilee, you know? I love the picturesque, the serene, seeing where Jesus ministered and all this other stuff. And then we get to Jerusalem and it's like, uh, 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 you know, and all this kind of stuff going on and a hustle and bustle of a city. And I'm just thinking, uh. but then when you get up that morning and you read in your devotions, what God has to say about Jerusalem, I mean, that changes stuff. Uh, we, we should love Jerusalem. Jerusalem should be in our heart. We should love Jerusalem. We should pray for Jerusalem. Why? Because God loves Jerusalem. It's one of the only places, the only place that I know of other than at Lazarus's grave site where we have recorded that Jesus wept. And why was he weeping over Jerusalem? And when you think of Jerusalem, it's not the buildings, although the temple is important in God's word, but it's the people, the people. God chose to put his name there. And so we need to Pray for those people. Pray for that place, the contested uh, piece of real estate, (laughs) as some call it. And uh, absolutely. Okay, well, I'll go ahead and close in a word of prayer. And we got some goodies back there that we'll enjoy afterwards. Thank you, Lord, for this night. Thank you for your word. I thank you for what you helped us to get through here today. We continue to pray for those prayer requests that were mentioned uh, earlier. Lord, we pray for um, the family of April's father and uh, pray you be with them, comfort them, strengthen them, encourage them with his testimony, Lord. And uh, we also want to pray for Mark, Lord. We pray for his healing. We pray for his strength. We pray for his energy, for his encouragement, uh, and also for Cheryl. And Lord, we just pray that you would bless the uh, refreshments that have been provided. Um, that they'd be a blessing and that you would help us to have a good time fellowshipping with one another and that you'd help us to remember the things that we studied tonight and uh, throughout the week that you would bring them to our minds and we pray all this in jesus name amen
0: shalom this is mark robinson executive director of jewish awareness ministries thanking you for listening to our bible study these jewish awareness podcasts are a teaching ministry of jewish awareness ministries if you have questions about the study that you just listened to or, would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at office at or call us at 919 275 4477. Shalom.